Some describe me with a type of an animal, cockroach, or call monkey, or call snake. Intimidation and harassment are well known to Edmund Yakani, one of South Sudan's most prominent human rights defenders. Since the outbreak of violence in the world's newest country in December 2013, Yakani and other South Sudanese activists have called attention to how hate speech, both in the country and from the diaspora, is contributing to further violence. I will tell you, 60% of uh, deadly violence in South Sudan are triggered by the use of hate speech. Welcome to the United Nations Uniting Against Hate podcast, where we share the stories of those who have encountered hate speech and talk to activists and experts about how they're working to counter it. My name's uh, Edmond Yakani. I work as Executive Director of Community Empowerment for Progress Organization. It's a South Sudanese non-governmental organization that operates across the country. We have established our offices in the 10 states in the country and the three administrative areas. So we are a governance and development civil society organization focused. So what's been your experience of hate speech in your 20 years as a human rights defender? I encountered in my life of activism, I've encountered over 35 cases of hate speech of different uh, formats. And mainly out of the 36 cases of hate speech, uh, 25 of them are through social media platforms or the use of social media platforms. So somebody said somewhere and create a hate speech or a hate language, either turning my image to a something different or drawing a statement that I have said. He The person claimed that I have said, and that statement is not my statement. And then in line of this, in the social media platform, when you see reaction from people who might have seen that message, all their reactions are so negative. Some are insulting, some are saying like very bad words, some describe me with a type of an animal, call cockroach or call monkey or call snake, or just call as a person who is a murderer. You know, they use all levels that are bad in terms of content. So... Um, and the rest, I've encountered them through either people who call me through phone lines, the rest of the cases of the 10 through either phone call line, or some of them even write to me letters and bring the letters to the office and they just leave it in the office. So that's what I've encountered in my life. And it's a very disturbing. It's a very disturbing because sometimes fake news or false information or disinformation has been used to paint an image or to paint a narrative that is not correct. And this narrative have huge implications it destroys my social fabric with others, my relationship with others, and it generates mistrust and lack of confidence from people towards me while actually it's not an actual situation. So I have to keep on going explaining from time to time myself of what has happened and why is it like that. But unfortunately, our legal framework is so weak. So mitigating that through a nonviolent legal way is not there. So the only way I have to do is that I abstain myself from interacting or from responding back to the hate speech or to the hate statements that are directed towards me. That must have been hard to do, to not respond to it. Yes, so I do it. And I do it simply because some of these uh, hate speech are triggered that first they start attacking personality like me, but at the end of the day, it may turn from being an attack towards me, it may be turned to become an issue that leads to the level of either my ethnic group have to respond to a particular ethnic group that have waged a hate speech towards me. 
So I want to avoid using the trend or the triggers of hate speech to bring violence. Because I like to tell you honestly, I'm closely working for the last 10 years on monitoring hate speech in South Sudan. And of course, we have reached a level of establishing movement that um, are against defiling hate speech. I will tell you 60% of uh, deadly violence in South Sudan are triggered by the use of hate speech. Hate speech contributes hugely in triggering violence. I they can call it intercommunal violence, which personally I call it as a political motivated communal violence, political violence. So it's really terrible. As we speak now, last week I have to really fight and work around seven incidents of hate speech. Imagine in a week, almost every day in South Sudan there's an incident of hate speech. And that leads to a lot of um, issues. I will give you the latest is what an issue of um, somebody just tried to, to play around with a video that would have been used in a situation in Darfur in 2019, somebody just play around that video and say now the wife of our current minister of finance is arrested in Khartoum Airport with huge million of dollars. And they put it on social media in Facebook and people start waging hate speech towards the minister and the wife of the minister while actually the content of the information is a fake. But somebody who sits in the diaspora upload that and it become a fight between the ethnic group of the minister and the ethnic group of the person who triggered that particular video. So, and that may end up in, in a deadly communal violence. And it has happened in several incidents. Right now, as I'm speaking with you, we have uh, a particular ethnic group called Ngokodinka of Abia. They are in uh, deadly violence with uh, another section of Dinka called Twitch in Warap State. So that really losing lives, destruction of properties, stoppage of trade. Traders can't move between these two ethnic groups simply because of hate speech that are triggered by some few individuals either in diaspora or within the country. So hate speech on social media really is contributing to further violence. Yes. You know, you know, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a strong tool for triggering violence. As, as I said, is that my assessment is that over 60% of our violence are triggered with, hate, with the use of hate speech. And simply because you use a statement and this is statement you can play around with it, it generates public opinion. From public opinion, it becomes a particular interest group's opinion and particular interest groups start merging or start taking up a decision of responding and response are always in a violent manner. Response are not in a non-violent manner. And, and, and of course, you know, the use of hate speech does not embrace dialogue as a way of mitigating because like the way, as I say it, the hate speeches that I've encountered, it, it gives me limited time to think about dialogue as a best way of resolving. If I wasn't somebody who is engaged in peace building and conflict prevention, I would have just gone aggressive and I, and, and, and I took up an arm or anything that I can harm the person whom I know is behind insulting me or describe me as a cockroach or describe me as a snake or describe me as um, somebody who lied to murder people through statements. So what I will do is that I will take an arm, any type of arm, and I go and confront this person. Whether it will result to an injury or to killing, I don't care because it moves my feelings to the level that I see this is the first enemy of my life that I need to deal with before he deals with me. So that's the problem of hate speech is that the use of hate speech normally, it undermines the culture of dialogue. People responded aggressively because they failed their threaten. And and I will tell you, even uh, very renowned names of people who are well-educated in my country are deeply involved in triggering hate speech. And, 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 and political elites after now are gaining from hate speech because 
they start using hate speech as a ladder to open a room of a dialogue with the political leaders of the country. In return, they are rewarded with the political seats. So it's a big deal. As, as if I can give you one example, as I said, one particular section of Denkangok in Abia are in crisis with another section of Denkangok of uh, Twitch in Warap State. Uh, two days ago, this particular el- pol- political elite from these particular communities met the president. And within their access to the president in discussing the political motivated communal violence, some of them start seeking powers, asking like, President, you have forgotten me for long. Why don't you give me something? You know, I've been out of the government for quite long. But the ladder or the opportunity that made them to see the president is triggering violence, triggering communal violence that are political motivated. And one of the <coughs> tools or instruments they use for triggering violence is the use of hate speech. And how does this hate speech make you feel? I feel scared. I feel scared in terms of first, hate speech undermined humanity. And hate speech made violence to be the best tool of resolving uh, disputes. And hate speech reduced us to a level that we forget the responsibility to protect in terms of whether as an individual you have to protect the life of there. You know, this, this particular praise that you are, a sister, you are a sister keeper of your sister or you are a brother keeper of your brother or I'm a keeper of your life, you are a keeper of my life. Hate speech undermines those values. And so I'm scared that if we don't find a solution to hate speech with the current trend of where we are really gaining growth and progress in a digital world and the digital life is becoming so much, uh, becoming a, a determiner of, of structuring life is that people may use social media platforms that may emerge in our lives for a negative purposes. So you come, you come to realize that people start fighting and start claiming lives of others simply because of abuse of the social media platforms. So I feel scared. Sometimes even if I'm trying to respond to mitigate a hate speech, I start asking myself before I could click on a particular social media platform in responding, before I put my click, like upload this information or here is my response. I have to ask several million questions and I have to look into the wording of my own statements, whether those wording does not contain a certain amount of information that may qualify to be hate speech or have to be a misinformation or disinformation or that information whether will not contribute to defam or to character assassination of a particular person. So hate speech is making me becoming more scared about the use of language and the use of wording. And that's why it becomes really a bit problematic. And I think it becomes a big issue that we need to see a global response to the issue of hate speech because the value dollar, the dollar value of the impact of hate speech is so huge in our lives. So if we are to take the economical cost of hate speech in our life, it has made us use huge money. Taxpayers' money, either in other part of the world, will be paid in response to humanitarian crises that are generated as a result of trigger by hate speech. So hate speech have made displacement of population. Hate speech have contributed to human rights violation. Hate speech have contributed to crime against humanity. Hate speech have contributed even in in fuel and corruption. So I think it's a high time that at the top leadership of instruments like UN Security Council, like in my continent, African Union or EU or other mechanisms, it's a high time for us to have resolutions that compel each member state, each government in the global community have to have a plan for its speech because we have seen. And look at the Middle East, not only in South Sudan. Look at the Middle East, how hate speech is working. Look at what's going on in Latin America, in Brazil, in Colombia. 
Look at what is going on in Syria. Look at what is going on now between Russia and Ukraine. I've been helping, been interacting with activists that work around hate speech. As I speak to you now, I have a network of activists. Some of them are in Syria. Some of them are Iraq and Libya. Recently, I interact with two activists in Ukraine on the issue of hate speech, how Russians are using hate speech as a tool of changing the narrative of the reality. So because hate speech has been used in changing the narrative of the reality. And, and, and to go further, if we allow hate speech to take presidency in changing the narrative of the reality, somehow hate speech may contribute in misleading conflict mediations and conflict negotiations. So it's a big issue. If you look at the economical value of hate speech, it's huge. And taxpayers' money has been used with the intention of responding to good purposes, actually. Tax money spares has been used for responding to negative purposes. And that's why I like to be one of the champions of demanding that UN Security Council must have a resolution on defilement of hate speech. You're listening to the United Against Hate podcast from the United Nations, where we're talking to Edmund Yakani, one of South Sudan's most prominent human rights defenders. So when we look at hate speech specifically in South Sudan, who do you say are the main perpetrators? If you look at the, the percentage or what I constitute as that 60% of our, over 60% of our violence are triggered by hate speech. The people who are behind this, before I could give you geographical locations, the people who are behind generating hate speech are all elites. Are elites either in the political sector, elites in the academic sector. These are learned people. These are learned people, all that are behind hate speech. These are well-informed, well-educated people behind speech in terms of character. That's the character of the people who speak speech. So if you look at South Sudan, I would say it is, uh, we're divided 50-50% in terms of our generation of hate speech. 50% national-based, 50% diaspora-based. And in the nation, in South Sudan, we have the landed population are always urban setup, and they constitute 20% of our population. And they are the, the population, that 20% of our population, which are urban-based up, are the one having access to various platforms of social media for generating hate speech. And 50% of our diaspora are landed people have access to social media to generate hate speech because the dominant instrument of spreading hate speech in South Sudan is social media various platforms social media. Social media are used by landed, by landed population. And the landed population in South Sudan is really 20% in the urban setup. And if you come to realize also in the urban setup, even the 20% that are saying behind the hate speech, if you see access to internet in South Sudan, it's very low. We are, we are we're at rate of 70% access to internet. So it means the well-off population out of the 70% which are urban setup have access to internet among the 7% population have access to internet. So it's people who are well-off, who have economical power, who are behind the hate speech. Or sons of, of uh, parents who have economical power behind the hate speech. So even the 20% in the urban setup, it's not anybody in the urban setup, 20%. It is the percentage of individuals that are constituted within the urban setup that have access to social media platforms. And, 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 and recently, with the increase of tariff within airtime, within our telecom companies, they have raised the airtime rate to a very expensive one in terms of access to data for you to use either any form of platform or social media in your, in your phone or in your computer is very expensive. So it means it's a well-off sector of the urban population that have resources and they can purchase internet are behind the hate speech. So what kind of things are being said and who's being targeted? Normally, people are targeted by these hate speeches, one, influencers, 
people who set up an agenda, and specifically when you're shaping agenda for the common good of the society, you are a target of hate speech. People like activists like me, people who speak out like either journalists, people who speak out like academia, people who speak out like religious leaders, or people who speak out as community traditional leaders who speak for the common good, they're always targets. And specifically for me personally, out of my hate speech that I've got more, more of them have linked with issues either I demand for transparency and accountability. Whenever I demand for transparency and accountability, I see increase in hate speech. Whenever I'm fighting corruption, I come to raise hate speech. Of course, I'm one person who have raised a concern that in South Sudan, I equate corruption as a crime against humanity because the implication of corruption in the lives of our population is really amounted to the same characteristics or elements of of, of, of what we call crime against humanity. So you come to realize a politician who sees the minister of health walk away with the budgets that are supposed to improve health service in the hospital, and you come to realize children are dying because this particular politician have walked away with the money that's supposed to buy medicines for treating about 25 children or lactating mothers or expecting mothers or aged people or people who are sick with sicknesses like diabetes. They died simply because the medical services are not there. And it's not that because we don't have money, we have money, but the money politicians have taken for their personal gain or some civil servants have taken. So fighting corruption, such as have attracted a lot of hate speech against me, demanding for justice and accountability, have drawn a lot of hate speech against me, and also calling for transparency have drawn. So anybody who is standing in demanding accountability, transparency, who is demanding for fighting against corruption, who is demanding for transparency, or who is demanding for democratic transformation is always a target of hate speech. Do you think realistically it's possible for the situation to improve and, and how can that be done? I think when hate speech become a factor or if hate speech become a, one of the elements for drawing sanctions, specifically individual targeted sanctions, we're going to see a bit of solutions to that because I have seen some of our leaders who have been individual sanctioned because of hate speech, they've changed the language. They've changed the language. So the question comes, how can we draw that experience from global level to national level and to community level. So how do we, what, what modalities can we have? And, and, and personally, as an activist, I'm engaged in defiling hate speech. I, I work around a project and the project now end up as an organization called Defiling Speech South Sudan. That's a project that I started in my organization, now end up as an organization by itself. So I, I treat it as a project. I ran it as a project within my organization for one year and then Another German firm joined me and we now establish it as an, as, as an NGO that work around speech. My experience is that you need to increase a lot of community sensitization on the negative implication of hate speech. And you need to really give a clear image to communities to understand what hate speech is. And I got positive case studies. Recently, I've seen communities that are calling me like, Edmond, we have seen these images or we have seen this statement. Is it true? Can you verify for us before we take any decision? And, 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 and I've seen increasingly, I started receiving positive uh, fighting against hate speech by communities. They start asking me and sending and, and, and start seeking opinion. And, and I start investing on verification of data. So, so for me, I see this still as a hope that we can mitigate hate speech if we can invest in to respond to hate speech. Because to be honest with you, if we invest a good dollar value on hate speech, in return, we rescue a good dollar value being abused by politicians by using hate speech. So, so for me, there's a hope that still has opportunities for hate speech. Experience of a global level is targeted sanctions for people who are involved in hate speech. And at national level, we need to have legislation that are specifically tailored for mitigating hate speech. 
and we need to invest in disseminating and sensitizing communities on the negative implication of hate speech. I think we have, we have opportunities. There are opportunities at various level, at local level, at national level, at regional and global level. The opportunity, but we need to invest on that. So we don't want to wait until it becomes a problem because hate speech is exactly as a stereotype. So it's really about educating people to be aware about hate speech and what it is rather than accepting everything that's said. Exactly. And also one, one, one opportunity I can give is that if, if the Human Rights Council in Geneva can sanction hate speech to become one pillar of each member state to report, that will motivate activists like us to work with communities in giving information on the implication of hate speech. So hate speech will be part and parcel of the template for reporting status of human rights in each member state of UN. And that will easily motivate member states to make sure that they are work done for defiling hate speech so that when they're going to report to Geneva, they have positive cases to Geneva, tell Geneva like as a government, we are working with our community or with our activists in mitigating hate speech. And here is our example. And and and, and should be part of UPR, the universal periodic review process. Hate speech should also become one of the instruments that should be addressed there in that process. So there are opportunities for me for mitigating hate speech. That was Edmund Yukani, the Executive Director of Community Empowerment for Progress Organization and one of South Sudan's most prominent human rights defenders. So for now, goodbye. Join me again soon for another edition of the Uniting Against Hate podcast from the United Nations.